Okay, so first bit of news is Off the Floor is now on iTunes. I'm super excited to share that with you. This is episode 11. Uh, I'm chatting with Sonia Looney, and she is a professional uh, cyclist, and she is also really fun to talk to. Um, the other thing that you need to know about her is that she gets stuff done quick. So I don't think that she procrastinates on anything, to be honest with you. I reached out to her and within a day, I think she got back to me about doing this interview. And that seems to be a recurring theme with Sonia. And it really begs the question of if you didn't procrastinate, if you didn't put things off a week, two weeks to file it into the catalog of great ideas that never get done. If you didn't do that, you might be a little closer to where Sonia's living in terms of the things that she's accomplished. And so I hope you get a lot of inspiration out of her story. Um, I do want to mention there was something really important that I meant to bring up in the interview, but we had such a good time chatting that I didn't bring it up. And I do want to mention that Sonia has actually the mountain bike coach for NBA legend Reggie Miller. And she's getting a lot of coverage on that. And I didn't even bring it up. And I'm a huge basketball fan. So a big shout out to Sonia for all of the wonderful coverage that she's getting on that. And also to Reggie Miller for going way outside of his normal comfort zone. And if he's been hanging out with Sonia, then that's probably not going to be too tough. So I hope you enjoyed this interview off the floor with Sonia Looney. What happens when you combine business, pop culture, and at least five analogies to ballroom dancing? You get Off the Floor, a podcast to help you get to that next step in your career or your tango. Here's our host, Chris Lynham. I'm chatting with Sonia Looney. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Uh, actually, it's Sonia, like Sonia Lasagna. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Okay. Uh, I'm chatting with Sonia Looney, and uh, she is an incredible athlete, a uh, professional athlete in the realm of mountain biking. And uh, I'm really excited to chat with her and talk about just what it means to push outside of your personal comfort zone and really test the limits of what you're capable of. And so, Sonia, thank you so much for, for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, first thing, why don't you talk about just your origin story, how you kind of went from maybe the version of you prior to this kind of current, this hardened professional athlete version of you. Um, what were you like leading up to that? And then what was the point where you got into it? Yeah, it's really funny because whenever I talk to people who I knew, say, like early college and high school, I'm this completely different person and my life is really different than I had originally planned it to be. So growing up, I was I was an athlete, but I didn't consider myself a hardcore athlete. Like I played on the varsity tennis team, but I was actually really interested in music. So I played the flute at a pretty high level for most of my life. And I also really resonated with being an academic. So I really worked hard in school and I really loved learning and pushing myself academically. So growing up, I didn't really identify as an endurance athlete and I, I didn't even really know that it was a sport. But despite all my accolades, I still wasn't very confident and I was really insecure in, in school. And it wasn't until someone suggested that I try running, like it was a girl I, I, I looked up to 
And my senior year, she was saying something about how she thinks running marathons are cool. So I thought to myself, well, that sounds cool. I, I've never really like ran before, but I'm just going to start. So I got started running. And the next year I ran my first marathon. And um, as a consequence of running a lot, I kept getting injured. So I'd go to spin class at the gym. And then these guys in my work invited me to go mountain biking and, and never wanted to turn down something new to try. I said yes. And two weeks later, I did my first race. And that was about 14 years ago. It was crazy. Like I, I didn't even know cycling was a sport and mountain biking just felt like having fun. You, you go on a trail in the woods. So those of you who aren't familiar with endurance mountain biking, you ride, it's like riding a hiking trail. You have to ride your bike up mountains and then you have to ride your bike down the backside of the mountains. And it's just fun. It's like you're in nature. It feels like you're being a little kid playing in the forest. So I was doing that and I loved it. I loved the freedom. I loved the personal challenge and it just blew up from there. Wow. That is, that's incredible. And I mean, have you gone back to like your high school reunion or anything? Have you had any really interesting reactions from any friends from that knew you when you were just the mild mannered version of yourself? I have. Yeah. They, they say, wow, like I didn't even really think that you were going to be this version of yourself and really cycling and taking on challenges outside of my comfort zone have helped me figure out who I am and what I want to be. And I think that if you don't take those challenges in your life, whatever those challenges may be, it doesn't have to be in cycling. Um, I think it really shapes you as a human. And, and even in the last five years of my career, things have changed a lot. Like I've achieved levels of success I never imagined. I've, I've started multiple businesses uh, to support my brand. So it's it's been really a really crazy journey. And I think that that's where confidence comes from. It's from taking little little risks and succeeding and just moving forward. And it teaches you that you can do a lot of things in your life that maybe you never imagined you could do. Oh, that's so true. I, I remember being super freaked out about my five-year high school reunion and uh, because I hadn't accomplished anything. And my dad gave me this pep talk and he said, just go there and ask people <laughs> questions. And uh, and I went around and I told people like, I'm keeping my options open. And uh, and then it wasn't until my 10-year reunion. By that point, I was a business owner. I was a professional dancer. I'm showing up with this really gorgeous girl who's now my wife. And, um, and, then I, and then I win this award for having the coolest job out of everybody in my graduating class. So I'm sure like for you, from, from one reunion to the next, have you, you know, was that like, did you have something similar to that? Yeah, you know, for my high school reunion, they only do like 10 year segments. So I've already had my 10 year and my 20 year is still a little ways away. But I think with social media and how interconnected we are, it gives us the opportunity to see people and talk to people that maybe in the old days, you wouldn't see them for five, 10 years. And now you get to see them on a regular basis. I think that the, a good point to be made is that whenever you go after those things that you really love, like for you, it was dancing. And for me, it was biking, like your world changes and, and the universe starts pulling you in the, in the right direction. And it feels like all the doors start opening for you. Totally. I mean, speaking of <laughs> going the distance, um, I'm looking at your website and it says that you're doing 75 to 100 mile races and is that a day or is that, I mean, is that, I don't know if I could do a hundred mile race in a month. So explain that to me. Yeah, that's in a day. So you'll have a race. It'll be like, it, it depends on the course, but typically what they do is they'll have two to three giant loops, or they might be two to three different loops on, on trail in the mountains or in the desert or in the jungle or wherever you want to race your bike. 
And yeah, you, you ride, you race a hundred miles and another distance I've done, uh, it's, it's by time. So I'm actually the 24 hour world champion. So what that means is you see how many, how far you can go in 24 hours on a set course and whoever goes the farthest in 24 hours wins the race. So that was something like, I think it was like close to 300 miles and it was like 29,000 feet of climbing or something ridiculous like that. Oh my gosh. So I'm taking it that you've never skipped a leg day workout in your life. Well, you know, um, I don't go to the gym. I probably should be going to the gym, but all of my, um, all of my strength comes from riding my bike, but I think it's really important. And in, especially in our society, it's all about like the hustle and training and just like working your butt off. But something that I keep learning humbly over and over uh, by experience is that you need more rest than you think you do. Like even your mind needs rest as a, as a business owner, like you're, you're on, you're going, you're going, you're going, and then you're trying to be physical with your body and something's got to give. So I actually think it's really important to take the time to rest. Otherwise you burn out completely. Oh, totally. And I, I think what's cool that you just said is that you probably don't need to go to the gym. I didn't even think about that, but your bike is your gym and it's also your your hobby at the same time. I think that's awesome. It's really humbling because I mean, if anybody's ever gone running or, or biking, just your body weight and trying to move your, yourself through space can be a challenge. And I guess like as a dancer, flexibility and being able to jump and being able to do other explosive movements with your body too, would be really hard. Yeah. You know, what's so cool for us is that we have in, in our, in our studios, we have at least one student in each school who, who has lost like anywhere between 75 to a hundred pounds. And it's just because wow. dancing, yeah, it's crazy. And it's because dancing is fun. And so your, your brain doesn't associate it with work versus like, I mean, running, you know, you have that runner's high and you have to get to that certain point where you actually start to enjoy it. But <laughs> is there like, is there a point in biking where from an exercise standpoint, do you feel like the runner's high thing kind of applies or are you just like, you know, do you feel like you're in it right away? Uh, I think it, I think it really varies. It's kind of like running. I think that high is harder to achieve the the more and more you've done because it has to do with effort, but it also has to do with satisfying a curiosity. And for me, like I'm fortunate enough to have raced in like 25 countries and I, I've done lots of things. So for me to have to find that high where I'm like, woo, that was awesome. It, it takes a lot for me to get there. It's kind of like being a junkie where you need more, you need a bigger fix. So yeah. sometimes I'm interested in trying different things just for fun because I know getting that high will be easier. <laughs> You're like, now I need to ride my bike through an active minefield while wearing a parachute or something. Yeah. So now from your website, I was also reading that you met your husband through biking. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's really funny. I mean, they do like I, I did not ever believe the sayings where that are cliche that say, oh, well, just stop looking and you'll find the right guy. And like, it just sounds like BS, but it's actually for me, it, that's actually how it happened. I was at a race in Vancouver and I was like, just minding my own business, focusing on the race. And in mountain biking, it's a male dominated sport. So if you're in, in you're female at a race, you're in the minority. So there's lots of guys that want to say hi to you and that pay you attention, which is nice. But after a while, you know, you kind of are on autopilot. You just kind of say hi back and you keep going. So uh, my husband we, we love the story because like he had to introduce himself three times to me before I was like oh hey how's it going because my radar was off I wasn't looking for for any loving at the race I was just there to race my bike so as it was really
really cool because, you know, the great thing about sharing a passion is that it's that thing that you want to do in your free time and you get to share that with your significant other. And I know that not everybody is able to do that. So I I feel really fortunate that we get to share the things that we love um, together. And the great thing about the race I was at, it was a multi-day race. So I do single day, hundred mile races, but I also do multi-day races. And what that means is you go point to point typically on a race course over the course of seven days. So you get to see a country, a region, you get to really experience a culture. And also really most importantly is you get to meet people on a really different scale. So the races can have anywhere from like, I've done ones as small as 30 people. I've done them up to like 2000 people, but the smaller, more intimate races where the sweet spot is like 200 to 500 people, you get to really know people on a a different level because all of the social pressures and the labels that we wear in public are gone because everybody's got messed up hair and like everyone's exhausted and everybody just is there to ride their bike and they're out in the middle of nowhere. And like what you do for work or like how much money you make or or all those things, like, like it just doesn't matter. So it's a really interesting way to get to know somebody because it takes away all of those lenses that might affect a bias whenever you're out in the, in the regular world in your town where you live. That's so cool. First thing I have to know is give me a bad, <laughs> a bad pickup line that you have heard at a race because I'm so certain that if you're in a male-dominated sport, I'm sure you had so many guys that were probably coming up and saying like, let me check your bike out or, you know, was it that bad or is, are they pretty cool about it? They're, they're usually pretty cool about it. Um, it's normally online where you get the bad pickup lines, like people sending messages. Like I read all my messages I get on like Instagram and Facebook, but yeah, you can imagine some of the things people send when they're behind their keyboard and they don't have to face the music to what they said. <laughs> So then, you know, you said that your husband like had to like introduce himself three times. And was it that your radar was like generally just kind of shifting and you kind of like turned it on or what, did he change his approach at all? Like, how did that all work out? I honestly think it was situational because the first two times he said, hi, I was on my way somewhere. But the third time we were actually on our way to dinner. And at these things, it's like big tables. Everybody just sits together. So he walked up and said, hi, I'm Matt. And I said, oh, hey, like we're going to dinner if you want to come sit with us. Because I'm just, you know, I'm friendly. And I realized this guy's like pretty dang cute. So (laughs) it ended up working out. So yeah, I'm really glad that he was tenacious. Oh, that's awesome. So now did he do something special from like a marriage proposal standpoint? Like was it a bike themed thing or is it just like a regular standard, you know, proposal? Oh, this, this is awesome. You're going to like this story. So I actually told him, okay, if you're going to propose to me, don't have a bike because that's so cliche. That's so like, of course, you're going to propose to me on a bike. <laughs> but then I started feeling bad and I was like, well, who am I to tell him? Like, if he wants to propose to me, who, how to do it. So I, I took, I took that comment back, but there was no bike involved actually, but there was a helicopter involved. Oh my God. <laughs> and it, everybody in my family, all the men in my family got in trouble after how Matt proposed to me because none of them did anything to that level. So basically what happened was we went to this spa that's called Sparkling Hill and it's owned by Swarovski. Um, and they have these like beautiful crystal spas and saunas and it's included with your room. So I thought, okay, something's up. Like we're going here. This is going to be great. So we sit down at this bar and we're going to have a drink. And this guy comes up and this, this guy that owns a winery and I live in a wine region in Canada. And the guy, like Matt invited the guy to sit down with us. And the guy like ordered us glasses of expensive champagne. And I was like, why is this guy sitting down here? I guess, I guess he's not going to propose to me here. This is so weird. 
And then the guy said, well, Hey, like, you know, he, he gave this impression of being a high roller and he's like, well, my ride's almost here. So I got to go. And then his helicopter lands like right in front of the window where we're sitting. And then he's wow. like, well, that's my ride. Uh, do you guys want to go for a ride? And I said, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I want to go for a ride in the helicopter. That's awesome. And I, I was like, whatever, screw it. If he was going to propose to me at dinner, like, who cares? I'd, I want to go on this helicopter ride. So we get in this helicopter and the helicopter starts flying away and it lands at this winery. And I'm starting to put things together and there's like, there's like nobody at the winery. And we had one table set up in the middle of the vineyard and it was like he brought in a private chef. I started figuring out, out as we were landing that this was a surprise that he had plan so helicopter lands and we just had this like beautiful meal and like all alone in this in this vineyard outside with like a beautiful lake sparkling in the background it's literally like something out of a movie and it's pretty cool oh my god i had to say yes (laughs) yeah uh congratulations you're now married to james bond apparently apparently (laughs) very cool so now if you think about like being able to do that and kind of share that hobby do you guys Do you guys feel like you compete against each other? You know, is this something where you're like pushing each other to get better? Like, you know, do you guys have kind of separate interests when it comes to when it comes to cycling? You know, there is some fun competitiveness, but we're not close enough in a race for it to actually be like super competitive because I'm, you know, I I train a lot more than he does. So I'm quicker than he is in a race. (laughs) But our fun little competitiveness is on the downhill because we're both pretty evenly matched. There's like certain types of descents where he's better and other types where I'm better. So the poking and the competitiveness is more when you're riding together on the downhill. And it's fun because mountain biking is a very skill specific sport, especially in British Columbia, which is the most technical steep place you could possibly ride your bike. So there's a lot of camaraderie around like, how do we get better together? And we've both really pushed each other to get better skill wise. And also, you know, you can help each other stay motivated to train whenever you're busy. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty incredible. That sounds so much like, you know, for us, we have a lot of couples that come in and they learn how to dance together. But we have a lot of guys that they are constantly saying, you know, well, my my wife is a way better dancer than me. And we're like, no, you know, you you guys have different positions, but, you know, you each learn kind of independently and you each have your own skill set. So it kind of sounds like... So, is, so you're saying that he's a little stronger with like the, the downhill stuff and you're just flat out quicker than he is on like the straightaways? No, actually, like we're within, I'd say, a half a percent on the downhill of, of one another. Like there are certain downhills where I, I'm faster than him and there's some where he's faster than me. So like from a fitness perspective, I have more fitness than he does for like riding, for pedaling. But from a skill perspective, he and I are like super, super, super close. So it's really fun in that regard because that's where we get to push each other. That is so cool. So now what do you do from, because, you know, you talked about like just the mental aspect of this, like what have you done to kind of like personally level up your mental game um, outside of just cycling? Yeah, you know, I think that with these challenges that you take on, as I mentioned, you're you're faced with who you are. And in a race, whenever you're tired because you've been riding your bike for eight hours and you've crossed over all these mountains, you're very raw emotionally. So every little thing that comes up, you have to face it and you see it. And I, I think that it's been a journey, you know, like I was a perfectionist. I was incredibly hard on myself when I first started this. And I, I like hated myself if I didn't do well. And I thought, well, people aren't going to like me if I'm not winning races. And there was a lot of work that I had to do. And I think that finding yoga was very a healing process for myself so that I could learn to love myself for who I am and to enjoy the process and the experience rather than just racing for a result. 
you know, that sometimes does come up like, because everybody's watching me. And when I go to a race now, everyone is, is watching me, expecting me to win. And it's hard whenever you come up short and it happens like pretty frequently because you can't win every race. So I, I think that the internal work, it doesn't just come with ex- like with doing a race. It comes with how you process what happened after the race. So I'm really motivated by personal growth and positive psychology and the power of mindset. So I've done my own work on myself and through, through writing. Like I do a lot of freelance writing for magazines about this topic. And my podcast is about that too. It, it's, it's really focused on mindset and how do you live a good life? And how do you perceive pain? How do you perceive effort? How do you perceive challenges that happen? That is so cool. I know I am absolutely obsessed with that. I got a big kind of come to Jesus moment with that in my career about two years before we stopped competing. And it's like, oh, I wish I would have applied this so much sooner. I could have saved myself so much time and frustration. What was like the big turning point for you? Like you said, the yoga, was there like, can you think of like a race where maybe you didn't process things the right way? And that was like your big kind of turning point? Uh, Yes, absolutely. It was my biggest failure to date as an athlete. And it was this race. It's called the Colorado Trail Race. It's a 550 mile mountain bike race on the Colorado Trail, which is a hiking through trail in Colorado. And you have to bike pack. So it's like going backpacking, but it's bike packing. You have all the stuff on your bike and there's no hotels and you just like sleep straight on the dirt with no tent. And it's like you sleep like two hours a night. It's crazy. Oh my gosh. And yeah. And you know, I wasn't really ready to do something like that. Like I was pretty new to the ultra endurance side of mountain biking. I came from like a shorter course distance. So I wasn't really prepared for that. Uh, But I I tend to just go after something if I want to do it. And there I bit off more than I could chew. And there was like a series of weird occurrences that happened that led me to making the decision to drop out of the race. And I actually do think that those occurrences were very weird. And I think that that was what I was supposed to do was like, that's what was meant for me to, to, to become better. So I quit the race and it was the hardest thing I'd ever done because I, I don't quit anything. Like I've, I finished my master's degree. Like I finished these hard races and to quit that, that race was just like, it just, it gutted me. And I, I remember going to yoga and like, I would be like secretly like crying in yoga and you know, it was hard and it was, it was to forgive myself and to say, Hey, like, it's okay. Like you did your best. And that was awesome that that happened because the next year I went to Nepal and that's in the Himalaya in the Himalaya. And I did this 10 day mountain bike race and I wanted to be the first woman to finish this race. No woman had ever finished before. And I actually did a Ted talk about this and you have to like hike your bike in the snow over 17,769 feet. (laughs) And that's like day nine. And I got to the end of that, almost at the end of this race. And then my bike had this catastrophic failure. So I had to walk for like seven hours to get to the finish line. Wow. And then there's like no bike shops out there. Cause you're, you're in the middle of the Himalaya. Like there's nothing out there. <laughs> uh, so I thought I was gonna have to quit the race. And, and again, I had to face that feeling of, Oh my God, like I'm, I'm a failure again. Like, how is this happening? And how, like, what's important to me? How do I define what success means? Like is success getting to the finish line or a success, the steps that I took to get here and how that's going to affect me in a positive way for the rest of my life. So that was another moment, but um, I ended up finishing the race because I was able to borrow somebody else's bike part that they quit the race. So I got to borrow their bike. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. And there's not like a Yeti there with like an extra wheel or something. Well, actually, like the guy that quit the race, he was my teammate. Like he had to ride a yak over the pass, like a big, <laughs> woolly, hairy, crazy yak. Yeah, he had altitude sickness and was like crazy sick. So yeah, he had to quit the race for that reason. But he actually rode a yak <laughs> over the top of the mountain. Oh my gosh, that is so awesome. So when you 
you talked about that Colorado race, you said there was like a sequence of events that took place. Like what was one of the things that happened to you that, uh, that kind of gave you the sign to pull out? Okay. So typically it's like you're, you're going and you are sleeping out on the trail and all these things and you have to follow a route. Like there is a set route on your GPS. It's self-navigated that you have to follow. So I'm following this route. And then there's a sign that says like this part of the trail is closed. Check the website for the reroute. So I went to turn my phone on and I wasn't like, I never would have turned my phone on if that sign hadn't been there and it hadn't been rerouted. So I turned my phone on and then I get a text message from like my really super good friend who inspired me to do this race. And he said that he was quitting the race and he, and he was at whatever hotel and that hotel was one mile away from where I was. So I was like, Oh, well, and there's, it's not against the rules to stay in a hotel, but people just usually don't do that because there's almost no towns you go through, but this town was only a mile away. So I thought, okay, well, I'll just go to this hotel and I'll just stay there for the night and it'll give me a chance to figure out what the new route is. Like I'll have time to, to get everything good. And then I'll just get up the next morning and keep going. But I got there and then the weather got like horrendous and I'm, I'm staying in a town at 10,000 feet and you have to go over these 12, 13,000 foot mountains above treeline. And it's, most people don't know this, but altitude can be very, very dangerous, especially during bad weather, because it's, it's actually quite common to get struck by lightning. <laughs> oh my God. So, and I thought to myself like, oh my gosh, like I might get struck by lightning. Like, I'm really afraid. What do I do? And my friend was like, look, like my parents are going to be here in 10 minutes to pick me up. So you can either come with us or you can go like it's, it's your call. And even though the decision was a hard one, there was some criticism like this was back in the blogging days and people were criticizing me online that I quit the race. Um, and that was really hard. Like when people are criticizing you and they would never even to try what you were doing, but and yet they feel that they can just sit back and criticize you. It's always so easy to have an opinion about something and definitely not as <laughs> as easy to ride a bike at 10,000 feet. <laughs> so if you had to talk to a group of people that maybe don't go into competition very well. You know, I think sometimes it really, like you said, when you're pushing yourself to the max, whether that's physically or just mentally, it really brings out a different side of you. And and there's like a raw side to everybody where fight or flight starts to take over. What's your message to people that maybe are overly critical and have that perfectionist streak, you know, when they go into something like a competition? Speaking from personal experience, I actually think that if you have those tendencies, they never go away. You just learn how to deal with it. And number one, it's realizing that you're still a good person and people still will will like you and you can still like yourself if it doesn't go perfectly and that it's okay to make mistakes. But the key is to go out and do your best and to look back and say, I did the work to prepare for this moment. All I can do now is just do my best. And whether my best is falling on my face or my best is doing the most amazing performance that I've ever done. Either way, you have to be happy with that. And that is incredibly hard to just be happy with your best if the result isn't what you wanted. So it's more tying your your definition of success and greatness to doing your best, not to what this end result is that isn't just relying upon you. Like if you're in competition and you can't control what other people are going to do either. That's so good. All right. So now let's talk about some of the stuff that you've got going on, like off of the track, outside of the cycling. So let's talk about like some of your speaking gigs and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been cool because the public speaking thing, I've gotten to speak at like tech conferences and like entrepreneur conferences and of course stuff in the bike world as well. But it's just taking some of the life lessons that I've learned through all these like hard, all the hardest races in the world and how you can apply them to your daily life. Like the th- some of the things we've talked about, like how do you overcome the fear of failure, of not being good enough, of, of looking stupid? Like how do you deal with that? And um, 
how do you, how do you choose to show up in life and what are the things that you can do to, to, to live a better life? So those are the topics that I really love to cover because that's something that I've had to deal with in my life on pretty much a daily basis. So now what's next on the horizon for you in terms of, let's say in the speaking world and then also in like the biking world, what's the next big hurdle for you? Yeah. So like a lot of other things going on in my, like my business, I guess is like my podcast is a weekly show. So that's definitely something that I have to keep up with. And I love bringing in some really high profile, brilliant guests. So like, that's definitely something that's always on the go. Um, I just launched a lifestyle brand. So right now there's only two products, but it's a lifestyle apparel brand. And if you like unicorns, you should check it out. It's moxieandgrit.com. Um, it's M-O-X-Y and grit.com. And um, I have a bunch of freelance writing projects and I, I eat a plant-based diet. So I write about that quite often. Um, I'm launching my first mountain bike wellness retreat and it's going to be in Bend, Oregon, the first weekend of October called the Sonia Looney experience. So it's mountain biking and yoga and like some speaking, like motivational speaking from me and like a brewery tour. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And then like on the mountain bike, um, I have some domestic races in the U S but I'm also going to Japan next month to do their biggest hundred K it's like a 62 mile mountain bike race in Japan and doing some more local stuff in Canada in June. And then I'm going to Poland for a seven day race in July. And I've, I've never been to Japan or Poland before. So that excites me going new places is what really excites me the most. Very cool. When you said the, the experience and then you have the brewery tour, it just reminded me, I remember going to Santa Barbara for a sorority event and on my drive in somebody said oh that guy's gonna get a BUI and I was like a BUI and he said yeah biking <laughs> under the influence and I was like I didn't even know they had a BUI but I guess it's a really popular way to get a ticket in Santa Barbara because everybody rides their bikes and drinks a lot so the brewery tour sounds like there might be a high BUI probability there huh fortunately we'll have a, a, a shuttle so people won't have to worry about that but it's funny because before I moved to British Columbia I lived lived in Boulder, Colorado for eight years, which is also a brewery capital of the United States and, and also a place where people ride their bikes everywhere. So I have, I do admit that I've ridden my bike multiple times after some beer. That was like one of the main influences for me to always wear a helmet. I never had any accidents, but I would like not wear a helmet. And it's like, how dumb is that to like go out and have some beer and then ride your bike home slightly inebriated with no helmet on? Really? <laughs> <laughs> that is classic. All right. So now I want to do some rapid fire questions with you and then we'll wrap up. Now it's time for rapid fire questions. First one, what is your comfort food? Uh, chocolate chip cookies and, and coffee. Nice. Okay. How do you like to unwind after like a really tough race or workout? I like to watch movies with my husband or play guitar and sing. Whoa. Okay. Now from a guitar standpoint, who is like a musical influence that you have? Like who do I look up to? Yeah. I really like right now, I'm liking Imagine Dragons if I think of the last song that I played. Cool. Okay. Now, what is your go-to karaoke track? I don't have one. I've only sang karaoke twice. I actually prefer to just play my own music. Um, like I play cover songs, but... <laughs> nice. Like give me one example of, of a cover that you absolutely love. Like you're at a dinner party, people are coming over, you pull the guitar out. What's your like your go-to? Uh, more recently, I like playing Shawn Mendes' Stitches. I love playing the Foo Fighters. I play like acoustic versions of the Foo Fighters. I actually sang, I was in <laughs> I was in Portugal last month and I was out to dinner with a friend and she made me get up in front of, the, there's a band playing 
playing and she told the band that I play guitar and like, I was trying to, I didn't want to do this, but everybody made me get up there and play. And I'll tell you, it did not go well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Okay. If you had to think of maybe like one message from your background, what would you like to, to share with them? Like a parting thought? It's my personal mantra. It's be brave, do epic shit. Okay, now let's elaborate on that. Yeah, so be brave, like take risks, try those things that you haven't tried before because you never know what's going to happen. Like if I had never tried biking, who knows where I would be right now? I wouldn't be where I am. So definitely take risks and try things and do epic shit. Dream bigger than you think. Like go out there and, and do that thing that that seems like crazy and you'll be surprised what happens. We all know life is going to throw ups and downs at you. I mean, it might not be the Himalayan mountains ups and downs, but you know what? You don't have to have an extreme bike race to really understand how important it is to be decisive and to take some risk and to put yourself out there. Sonia certainly is a great example of that. And what's really nice is that the worst case scenario is that she had a devastating professional loss, but she still was able to use that and pivot and turn that into a wonderful sequence of events. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Off the Floor as much as I've had putting it together. I want to thank Sonia Looney for being such a great inspiration and a great guest. This has been episode 11. My name is Chris Lynham. Be sure to hit the subscribe button on iTunes or SoundCloud and share this with a friend that might benefit from a little perspective off the floor.